Welcome to the podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. I am Maria Lee from the global network, WOCAN, Women Organizing for Change in Agriculture and Natural Resource Management. The current global crisis presents a unique opportunity to put climate resilience at the center of the conversation around what is important and how to build a better future for all. The solutions to build resilience to crisis are linked to the preservation of our Earth's resources and the stewardship of these. In this podcast series, we will be sharing 10 solutions for a climate resilient post-recovery through conversations with international thought leaders. For this last interview of our podcast series, I am delighted to receive Evelyn Batamolica to talk about women's access to climate finance. Evelyn currently serves as an executive committee member of the Adaptation Benefit Mechanisms Initiative of the African Development Bank. Previously, she worked as UNDP's advisor in the Asia-Pacific region for the program Strengthening Governance of Climate Change Finance. Evelyn has also an extensive career in post-conflict reconstruction and was engaged in various global and regional initiatives for peace and reconciliation and to support women's political participation in Africa. Good morning, Evan. Welcome to this podcast series. Good morning, Maria. Thank you very much for this invitation. Yeah, thank you, Eve, also for uh, joining us to talk today about this really important topic of increasing women's access to climate finance. We know the importance um, that uh, women play in climate adaptation and mitigation. And we also know that there is very limited climate funding reaching women and women's organizations, especially at the local level. Only about 10% of climate finance flows to the local level and about 1% of gender equality funding from governments flows to women's organizations. Now, before we talk about how to change this situation, I wanted for you to share your insights on why you think gender equality is so important to ensuring a climate resilient recovery and sustainable future. Um, thank you, Maria, for that good question. Um, and I'm glad you've already um, uh, citing some statistics that are known about the climate change financing and how they have been able to address the gender equality or women's empowerment in this and, and um, what needs to be going forward. Uh, so why is gender equality important um, for climate change issues? Gender equality, um, if we really want to understand what it is, it means making sure that men, women, girls and boys are able to play part in whatever issues you have. And lately so on climate change, I mean, we're talking about the when the disasters strike, um, the, there is this disproportionately um, impact that uh, women bear because of their role in the society that we have known. Now, that is um, this, uh, the, the history that we know. I mean, this is, this is a historical and proven uh, with um, facts uh, how women have always left behind in these societies. 
when it comes to really playing critical leadership and decision-making roles in our society, especially in climate change adaptation and mitigation, as we talk about. Um, but if we're really to sustain um, all of this intervention around climate change, if we want to make it effective and efficient in response to all the climate delays or any other disasters we, um, we're actually talking about, including this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we need to ensure that both men and women, girls and boys, are playing their part. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's what we mean, that when we talk about gender equality and why it's important to fight climate change, to um, recover from this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, what we mean is, can we have equal say, equal participation, equal decision-making with men and women, um, boys and girls, as a matter of fact, in terms of ensuring that this is done? Mm-hmm. So it is about recognizing the different role of women and men, and in a way also to reduce the gender gap in terms of how those women can actually contribute in real terms through more access to resources and, and to climate finance. And you you are a climate finance and gender expert and have many years of experience at the global and national levels. What have you learned on this professional journey in relation to uh, what type of progress have been made in women's being able to access climate initiative and, and finance, and what are the remaining challenges that you see? I have had a chance to work on these themes for these past years, and I have had a chance to work in different contexts and uh, actually different continents, if you want to call it that way. I mean, I was in Asia Pacific recently, but before then I was in Africa. Um, and I have worked mostly around actually uh, domesticating the reforms that looks at how the national budgets uh, need to be reformed to ensure that climate change actions are embedded in the, in the budgeting process of the government. But when we push that and when we were pushing that, we're not only looking at um, climate change actions alone, but we wanted to make sure there is this core benefits where you talk about climate change actions but in relation to gender equality uh, considerations as well. So that was our approach. Um, uh, And at the same time, uh, our work has always also been really uh, trying to inform the discussions, the ongoing discussions and the agreements at the UNFCCC and all uh, these uh, climate change uh, uh, instruments financing that that are in place. Um, So what I have noticed as um, there is, um, when it comes to ensuring that gender equality and women's empowerment uh, issues are embedded in the uh, climate change agreements, we are not short of that. There is a lot of um, uh, interest. There is a lot of um, actually including some texts that have been embedded in these uh, agreements that all member states have signed for. Uh, So that is not a question anymore. Again, when you look at the climate change uh, um, financial mechanisms that exist, and I'm talking about the major one, the major big uh, four or five that exist today, uh, the gender issues are already figuring in those, in their at least framework and the strategies, even though right from the beginning when they were designed, they did not really take into consideration the gender issue. But 
as they progress, uh, as they uh, continuously uh, change and evolve, uh, the gender issues have come, at least have been involved or integrated in their discussion. But having said that, there is still a gap when it comes to uh, the agreements that are out there that are signed upon by member states in terms of uh, climate change financing. There is a gap um, with regards to the frameworks that exist today and the strategies that are put in place uh, to uh, finance adaptation or mitigation and, and how much there is really no consistency and coherence in terms of ensuring that the money goes to the local people, the money goes to the local organizations, where the majority of women associations and organizations are almost 70% of them. So, and I, you mentioned that, that's why actually when you say you realize or you've noticed that 10% of the funds today that are uh, set aside for climate change actions, only 10% of them go to women. So there's no surprise because there is no system, there is no mechanism, there is no strategy, and there is no deliberate efforts that really accompanies all of these climate change financing mechanisms to be able to make sure that the money trickles down to where it matters at the local level. Mm-hmm. So, and that is what I have learned. And that is, um, that is one of the challenge that was one of what that is one of the gaps that we struggle with, even when we start looking at uh, domestic budgeting, uh, or where most of these nations are really changing their budget. It's easy to say at the national level, they have put mechanism to embed climate change actions and gender, but when really, you go down to the local level to the district level to uh, the villages, you really don't see that there is that uh, trickling down in, in ways that it should be done. So that is the gap. And that's what I have planned through in these past few years. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you did mention the need for deliberate efforts. So it's not only about embedding gender equality in international agreements. And, and you mentioned also the fact that it is taken into account now in climate funds and the uh, Green Climate Fund itself actually has gender equality as, as uh, a mandate as well. But it's how you then have these deliberate efforts to make sure that these funds reach the local level. Um, do you have any examples or what would be your recommendations on, on how we can fill this gap and um, increase this um, access of climate investments to a woman at the local level, whether it is for investments in water, uh, climate smart agriculture, or other type of uh, sectors? Totally. Deliberate efforts are very important because we can't just assume that by uh, signing off the agreement, by putting the framework and strategies, that in, in itself is enough. As I said, all of these um, big um, financial, climate financial mechanisms like Adaptation Fund, the Climate Investment Fund, the Global Environment Facility, there is Developed Countries Fund, uh, and even the latest one, which is the Green Climate Fund, they all have provisions for gender equality. But, and, and when they send out, uh, you know, the the criteria on how they are going to select which projects to fund, totally they ask for gender action, they ask for 
all of this, but that itself is not enough. Um, and that's what we say. One has to really make sure that there is a way, the way we, we, we look into the access, the way we look at um, the, the structure and then the process itself, that they're able to look into gender issues. And it's a systematic integration that goes beyond just an add-on, you know, because a true gender-responsive approach to funding actions, on uh, climate actions, you know, needs to address how funding decisions are made and implemented itself. But, and that's where the, actually the, the fundamental what the flaw is. Uh, and unless we're really uh, looking at what I said, deliberate efforts to really see it through that this money goes to the local people and not only to the local people, that money goes to the women's organizations, women's associations, and they are in the driving seat when it comes to making decisions, determine, determine where this money goes, then we, we see what we see now, which is, yes, you have all of these brilliant um, agreement strategies, but still only 10% reaches women. Good examples uh, that I have seen um, for crime. I mean, there are some good initiatives that are happening, including um, our uh, program in uh, UN. I mean, our program, I'm talking about the UNDP program that I was working on in uh, Asia Pacific, which is governance for climate change financing where we were, again, trying to come up with um, or support the government come up with the reforms around uh, national budgeting. And we're not only doing it from the climate change actions, but we're looking at uh, gender equality and social inclusion on it. So that means looking at really the fiscal policies and try to mainstream climate change actions and gender in it uh, simultaneously. So I would say this is one of the examples. but uh, but honestly, and speaking, I, I don't have that many specific examples that I can cite. Really, where I can say this is the best one that we can work, you know, all work on in terms of making sure again that we're reaching those like least those who are really at the bottom of the pyramid. Those. Mm-hmm people at the local level. We see really talk in terms of the reforms at the higher level, at um, police level, but not really the programming that specifically target women when we can say they are not within that, you know, because most of these also funds, they really want to work with big prayers that they can be able to get 10 million and be able to implement that. Some of these organizations, they can hardly even implement 1 million. So how do you, there is a mismatch. You see, so that's what I say that we really need to do better than that. What I have seen in some places like Philippines, I have seen some uh, intervention in Philippines, for example, which looks at the conditional cash transfer program uh, for really or some for really local people. And I've seen some of them, like let's say there will be some grants given to women, and this cash uh, that has been transferred to the local women organizations sometimes which are invested really in gender equality they actually end up being uh, being invested in let's say education children education nutrition health and that is what we say really investing in gender equality it is investing in all these other social issues that in, in the uh, eradication of poverty in sustaining all this um economic growth in, in the particular communities where we were. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting because on, on one side, it is about making sure that women are 
at the table and decision-making tables when we look at national budgets around climate change. And it's, it is a question about governance from the UNDP project. But it's also, as you mentioned, from the Philippines, the importance of finding ways and mechanisms that allow funds to reach smaller organization or women's organizations or women's groups in a way that large climate funds right now are not doing and cash transfer programs could be one way. Um, and I guess there are other ways that we can imagine um, finding intermediaries between the large uh, climate funds and women's organization at the local level, isn't it? Totally. And that's exactly what um, most of the time uh, I would advocate for um, because that is the twin approach and that is what will give us the results we want to. Because if we only remain at that um, advocating for, uh, uh, for the reforms of how the government should work and all this, but without really making having that deliberate efforts that I started of putting the money where it matters in those local communities, then it, it becomes a challenge. And I think, I mean, for the work and you know it better than I've, I've engaged with the work and Asia Pacific, um, and we actually have had them implement some of our program. But I, and I think this is also the experience when they really reach out to these um, women organizations in Nepal, in a different place, Cambodia, where we work with them. That is the, you know, that's the realization that, you know, we still have a challenge when it comes to really making sure that the money gets down to where it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. There has been some work that UNDP is doing with the WOCAN around exactly trying to really see how we can have that twin approach. Um, and recently there was even um, uh, a conference where the VPN, where the WOCAN presented on, I think, together with UNDP, you know, trying to reach out to the private sector and the foundations to be able to see if there they, they could be other funds that could be raised that are not tied to all of these other procedures, that these funds could go direct to women organizations, to local organizations where they can really be able to work on action um, in mitigating climate change, but at the same time be able to respond to gender equality. Now you're working with the African Development Bank. How are those questions of um, women's access to climate finance and climate initiatives taken into consideration? Oh, that's what I'm really excited about. <laughs> because, um, I mean, this is a new initiative. And what I like about it is really a piloting uh, initiative that the African Development Bank is piloting. Being new, it gives us really a brand uh, page for us to write what we want writing when it comes to climate change um, adaptation and when it comes to uh, gender equality. So the new initiative is called Adaptation Benefit Mechanisms. Mm -hmm. It's um, what the African Development Bank is trying to do, is trying to show to both public and private sector uh, actors that you can um, be able to put money into adaptation actions, only adaptation for now, and be able to actually uh, really to implement these actions uh, for adapting uh, different sectors in 
now it's for the African continent for now, but we're hoping that if proven successful this initiative, it can go global. So by raising the public money, you can showcase the private sector that yes, you can invest in adaptation actions and be able also to make returns. Mm -hmm. So that is the initiative we're trying. And why I'm really excited about it, it's because this is actually where the gender issues should pick up, should be integrated prominently, especially for adaptation, because adaptation, we're talking about adapting the ecosystem. We're talking about the nature-based solutions that are out there. And if you think about that, this is where the women play a strong part when you look at the agriculture sector, when you look at the water and sanitation, when you look at all of these environment issues around, you know, uh, tree planting and things like that. So I'm excited about it because I think this is really one of the initiatives that we could prove and we can show that women, if they are supported and if they are in, especially in, you know, if they are supported to get into the leadership and decision-making in this specific um, uh, initiative, and if the money is uh, allocated to them, that they are really able to uh, uh, adapt the, to these climate change issues, but also really play part in economic growth of their communities. So it's really exciting. I mean, um, that's why I said, you know, for me, when I was making a decision to uh, kind of jump the ship from UNDP to this, it was an, a clear-cut decision because of that. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And, and I'm sure that you, you will make sure that the gender lens is, is present in, in the implementation of this uh, initiative. As you know, this, uh, this podcast series is about a feminist approach to climate resilience. What does it mean for you to take a feminist approach to climate resilience? For me, when it comes to really looking at um, taking a feminist approach, um, and this is whether you're talking about the climate change again, whether you're talking about um, the, the, the recovery of the current pandemic we are in, the feminist approach is, for me, really what makes sense is, first and foremost, let's begin looking at what are the issues that we are grappling with? What are the issues that we faced worldwide? And who is most affected or who, is, who could play a critical role in this? So for me, the feminist approach, it's, it's also try to know and, and understand historically how a section of the population has always been left behind or discriminated against or not involved in all what has resulted into whatever particular uh, problem that you faced. And, and in doing, a, uh, so for, to do a feminist approach in that or a feminist response is to understand that uh, historical issues that have existed, that are still existing. So that when you suggest a response or a strategy to any of this, whether you're talking about climate change, that you understand that this is the context we're coming in where we have not been, it has not been uh, equal uh, playground for everybody. So that when you suggest a response or strategy, you understand there is some affirmative actions you might have to put in place first to make sure 
that that eco ground is there that we're all starting off from the eco footing going for at the same time realize that whatever in, uh, intervention you're doing you're making sure that both women men girls and boys are able to continuously one be in a leadership position to decide on what matters for them and make a decision making and sorry and be involved in decision making that tackles their interest their their benefits their their way of how they want things to be done for me that is that is the the the, the feminist approach that is that is a great answer eve and maybe to conclude then what would be your priority your your call to action to governments or climate funds or climate funders um in relation to women's access to 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 climate initiative what would you say is the priority and the call to action that you would like to share the call to action for me for now really is can we make sure that women are supported to play the leadership and be in the decision making tables as far as the climate change action goes and we do it not just from signing up in the agreements we do it not only by coming up with a fancy framework and strategy that we do it in a way that we can prove by action and prove by action for me is to make sure that the funds that are there whether it's from you know that are from these international financial mechanisms that exist whether it's even in domestic budgeting that exists that these funds these resources that go for climate change they are actually put in the hands of women and show and prove that for me that's the uh, the call that i can make for now Mm. No, that's a great call to action, and it it kind of links also to the importance of accountability and making those climate funds and governments accountable to uh, gender equality and and climate change. Thank you so much, Eve, again for sharing your perspective and for accepting this invitation. It's a pleasure, Maria. You've been listening to Wokan Podcast. 10 solutions for a feminist climate resilient recovery. If you want to know more about Wokan's activities, please go to www.wokan.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.